Blog Talk Radio. Good morning out there in Blog Talk Radio land and Rainbow Soul and the many ways that people tune in to Off the Shelf and have been uh, tuning in to the Off the Shelf for 14 years now. So we have an awesome guest on deck for you over the years. We have just been so blessed. Some of our guests have gone on to have their own regionally very highly viewed TV shows. Some of them come on international television shows, New York Times, best-selling authors we've had on on Off the Shelf over the years, and a Grammy Award nominee. So we have another awesome guest on deck for you that we're excited to introduce to you, our loyal, loyal Off the Shelf listeners who've been with us for 14 years. And I want to thank each of you who've listened to all of our guests every Saturday morning for 14 years. And for those, it's your first time coming by. I want to let you know that you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show Off the Shelf. Before we begin, I want to drop this thought into your mind, and it is success doesn't just find you. You have to go out and get it. Success doesn't just find you. Some of us, we wait no magic. Success doesn't just find you. You have to go out and get it. And welcome again to this Saturday, you guys. Can you believe this? We're coming down to the end of August. I was just talking to somebody yesterday, and they said, where did August go? Where did August go? It's August the 24th. Thank you again for joining us. Before we introduce you to today's guest, I want to ask you, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Do you think you can figure out who's responsible for the murder mystery that cloaks Raymond and his friend's life? And love pour over me. And I ask you another question. How much do you value relationships and love? How long would you wait to experience a once-in-a-lifetime romance? I'm talking the kind of romance that can open you up to so much brilliance and love and joy that only a few people in this world get to experience. How long would you wait? Would you wait as long as Raven and Brenda, and would you think it was worth it if it didn't come right away? If you value family relationships, soulmate relationships, and there are four friendships. These four guys meet each other in college in Pennsylvania. This is a bond. I mean, they go through so much. And one of them, or is it two of them, involved or responsible for the murder. If you like romance, the the intrigue of relationships and to see how we each help each other to develop and change and awaken. And you also like a mystery. I encourage you to stop what you're doing and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me right now. You can get it in print or ebook format. Amazon, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, you name it. I encourage you again to get yourself a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney right now. And please let me know how you enjoy the book. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our guest this morning is Joyce Fields. Now, Joyce hails from Detroit, Michigan, and today she makes her home in Arcadia, California. She is the author of eight books. In addition, she has written for the Detroit Free Press, And Joyce aims to write books that inspire people to take action to make the world a better place. Don't we need that? 
and she has worked as an executive assistant for a nonprofit health maintenance organization, or which we know as a HMO. And books that Joyce has written include Line of Serenity, The Vision, A Breast Cancer Journey to Greater Joy, The Limitless Golden Rule, Jet Black and Her Seven Friends, My Simple Quotes to Live By, and The Best Way to Keep a Man is to Let Him Go. We got to look into that one because that sounds like the oxymoron, the best way to keep a man is to let him go. Joyce is also a wife, grandmother, and great-grandmother. Please visit Joyce Fields online at goodshortbooks.com, and it's, it's spelled exactly the way it sounds, G-O-O-D-S-H-O-R-T-B-O-O-K-S.com, goodshortbooks.com. We're delighted to have Joyce here with us on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Joyce. Good morning, Denise, and I am so happy to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, thank you, and your books, we want to get into several of your books uh, and explore, you know, this, the different stories. And for uh, people, when it comes to relationships, I, I, when I watch television, I see the shows on relationships on almost every channel. You know, the life is about communication, the whole thing, but your mm-hmm. one book, to to keep a man, you got to let him go. Some people might be thinking, nah, that don't sound right. So we want to yeah. look into <coughs> just what you mean by that. <coughs> okay. So Excuse what me. that means is it does not uh, mean. We're going to tap into a few other things okay. before we get to that. We're going to. Okay. Our listeners are ready, 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 and chomping at the bit to hear a little more about that, but. The first two questions I'm going to ask you, I ask every guest mm-hmm. on the show. I used to launch right into the questions when I started out. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. got something in my throat. When I started out 14 years ago, and the listeners said, no, 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 we want to know a little bit about the guests okay. before you start asking them questions about their books. So the first few questions I'm going to ask you, I ask every guest who comes on, off the shelf so I can give a proper intro to our listeners. So to begin, Joyce, could you please tell off the shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? (laughs) Okay. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and life was a real, it was so much fun when we were growing up. I was born in 1944. Um, and Detroit was really popping, and it was just just a thrilling place to be. And I still love Detroit, and uh, my siblings are still there. And I go back, uh, I try to go back every year. I haven't made it this year yet, but I'm still planning on going back to visit with uh, my siblings. I'm the oldest of seven. Um, I have two sisters, and I had four brothers. Uh, my oldest brother died in 2013. He had lung cancer, so mm-hmm. that's uh, that's how we grew up. And uh, I also wrote another book called Line of Serenity, and that's the it captures it goes from 1944 to 1977. It's a memoir, and it captures the way that we were raised, and we were raised with we didn't know it at the time. It was love. No drugs, no ugliness at all. It was just love because we were so poor. Um, that was really 
all we had materially, you know, was love. Mm, you know, can, can you, for people who, Detroit, now it's coming back, but we know Detroit, they had a, some uh, bad mayors who didn't, just didn't do well with the city and the funds. But can you, like you said, it was a happy, happy time. Can you get people just who can't even imagine it, what it was like? In Detroit, when you were growing up, was it booming? Was, was a lot of yes. business? Yes, it was. It was booming, and that's what I, I capture in the book. There was a street in Detroit called Hastings Street. It was extremely popular, and it was just filled with businesses, black businesses, um, fish markets, confectionery stores, Dry cleaners, beauty shops, barber shops. It was, it was really a lot of fun. Uh, and children at that time, uh, like I said, it was, it was. I was born in 1944, so we could go anywhere. We could walk around. We could ride our bikes. No worries about children being harmed. None whatsoever. Wow. You know, for people today, that's probably. That's why, and I thank you for sharing that. And you said you shared in your book, Line of Serenity. But for yes. people today, that's almost uh, they, unimaginable that. I know. That, that, it's that unimaginable was, that to, to us. So when did Detroit, um, when did it start to change? I mean, I, I've always known. I really I don't up, know. It it happened gradually. You know, it, it started changing and I wouldn't, let's see. I know in 67, I think it was 67, we had the riot. And then, um, and that was the year that uh, my husband and I got married, 67. And so it was after that. I mean, now my son is 49 years old. It was still really nice when he was born in 1970. So it, it, I don't really even. It's almost like it, it just kind of is a, like a cloud that overtakes you, and you didn't even know that it was there. I don't know if that wow. makes sense. Yeah, it was. It, it, and and it's coming back now, and we hope that it continues to to mm-hmm. rebound. I know there are big organizations mm-hmm. that have money invested in it, but that again shows you um, corruption. How it, yeah. It, you think it's not doing nothing, but you can really, really hurt for long term, mm-hmm. uh, and you can you can help for long term with with things you think are only impacting a few people. You think it, this ain't going to affect that many? Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, I know. It, it, it just might. Now, when you were a kid coming up in Detroit, Joyce, what did you dream of becoming? Well, I wanted to, <laughs> when I was uh, very young, I wanted to be a nurse. Because I didn't think that nurses got sick. <laughs> oh, wow. so that's the logic of that child, you know. So, but then I ended up uh, a little bit later on. I wanted to be a secretary. It was a there was a TV show. I think it was Gail Storm, and she was a secretary. And that's what I wanted to be a secretary. And that's what I ended up being. <laughs> Oh my goodness! So see, you did it. You did just what you did. Yeah, I did. I I I started out as a stenographer, my first job, at uh, 18 years old. Graduated from high school, 
in January, and then I told my mother I didn't want to even try to look for a job for a couple of months, and uh, started in April on uh, my mother's birthday on April 9th is when I started work at 18 years old. I was a junior stenographer. You know, we took shorthand and typed and copied and all that kind of stuff. Made copies and typed so up documents. So you became what you wanted to be. Now, how old were you when you knew that you wanted to be a writer? Was that something that goes back to childhood? I never even knew that. I never knew that I wanted to become a writer. And I have written, i got to update my bio. I sent you the bio that said eight books. It's ten books now that I've written. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So that sort of yeah. happened organically. Yes, it did. You know, it's almost like uh, God has guided me most of my life. Um, it's just... He even guided me to the man that I'm married to when I was 13 years old, and I I knew that I wanted to marry him at 13. Yes, it amazes me too. But no, I never, in I never set out to become a writer. I did. I do remember in about the sixth grade or so that I wrote this paper that was based on the premise that if our ancestors could come back and see all the, quote, modern conveniences, unquote, of that day, that they would just be absolutely amazed. I remember writing that paper, and I remember getting an A on that paper. So I was in about the sixth grade. So, And I don't recall writing anything else until about 19... 19- 82, I was the supervisor of word processing, uh, the word processing center at Detroit Edison. So um, I went from junior stenographer to senior stenographer to secretary, and then I ended up uh, being promoted to the supervisor of the very first word processing center. So I had to Um, come up with all the different processes and procedures to make that a functioning operation for Detroit Edison. And so in 1982, because I was supervisor of word processing, and young ladies at that time, it was mostly uh, girls, were graduating from high school and coming into the word processing center where I had to interview them and so forth, and um, they were being taught how to do word processing, but they were not being taught in the correct way. So I wrote a an article entitled, Word Processing, Teach Concept, Not Operation, and um, it was for the Office magazine, that was in 1982, and that uh, that magazine is now defunct. And so um, it was a contest that I wrote for, and I didn't win the prize, but they wanted to print my article in the Office magazine, and so they printed it. And so that was the first sign that God gave me 
that my writing was worthy of publishing. Look at you. It just organically happened for you. Now, talking about your books, and you, you, we mentioned this briefly on Off the Shelf so far this morning, I love the cover of Line of Serenity. Can you tell us when and why did you write Line of Serenity? Okay, now that's a very interesting story. <laughs> I wrote that book in 1997. So that was from 1982 to 1997 when I wrote uh, Line of Serenity. I didn't even know, like I said, I didn't know that I I was a writer. <laughs> and so um, you you talked about the cover. Yeah, I love the cover. So what what inspired you to write? Okay. What inspired what inspired, what inspired me to write the book was I mentioned that we had so much love in our family. And I like I said I'm the oldest of seven and when our parents um raised us, we always talked about when we all got together after we were grown. We've always said that we wish that mom and daddy could have bottled the way that they raised us because it was it was really a a, a heart oh, wow. heartfelt way that they raised us. It was so it was so good. Uh and so I wrote the book because I didn't want the way that they raised us to just fall by the wayside. And um I wanted to capture the way that they raised us so that the generations to come would know how we were raised. And it has pictures, it has 20-some pages of pictures and about 22 pages of recipes. It's, the whole book is 167 pages or so, 169 pages or so. Uh, and so uh, I already had finished the manuscript in, um, was in, I think it was about September of 1997, I'd finished the manuscript. And I didn't know what to call it. So my husband made the statement, um, all of y'all have that line of serenity running through you. And I was really intrigued by that statement that he made. And so the first 15 or so pages of the book, my husband is explaining what he sees. He was he adored my parents. Uh, what he sees in each one of us. He went through the whole line, my mother, my father, me, all of my siblings, and what he sees in each one of us that describes what he thinks of as this line of serenity. And that's the title of the book. Uh, so how much of the story, Joyce, is yours, and how much of the story is your parents and your grandparents? Um, I would say... Probably, I don't know, maybe 75% my parents and 25% us. Uh, my grandparents, I only interacted with one of my grandparents. My father's uh, mother and my mother's father had both passed on when I was born. And uh, my mother's mother she when she was uh she got to be uh people used the word senile we didn't have i don't alzheimer's at the time they they said that the older people were senile and so um 
she would spend lots of months of the year with us, and she would spend lots of months of the year with her other two daughters. My mother was her daughter, and my mother had two other sisters who shared uh, taking care of my grandmother. And my father's father was in, he lived in um, Arkansas, and we used to write to each other. I never met him, but I have pictures of of, uh, them in the book, Line of Serenity. I I said that there are about 20-some pages of pictures. And so I wanted to put the pictures in uh, because I wanted future generations to be able to look back at pictures of their ancestors and say, oh, my goodness, my daughter looks just like Aunt Lou, you know, or something like that, or, <laughs> you know. And and so and, uh, food has always been, it still is, a very important part of our lives. And so I have uh, 22 recipes in the, in the book. So it's recipes and photographs as well as the and- story. Oh wow! So readers will get a, a lot, you know. And you, I think that mm-hmm. is something. There's another author I met years ago, and I think I interviewed her maybe in my newsletter, uh, the book lovers having. But she wrote a book about her father. Her father passed, and she said, "I cannot let his life go." So mm-hmm. that in the generations when we're gone, nobody even knows he was here. Exactly. So, That's why I wrote Line of Serenity. And so she ca- she 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 wrote a book about. Yeah, her father. But you know that's good to capture. You got the twenty three in me now. You can do your DNA and be shocked that oh my god, I got this percentage mm-hmm. or whatever in me. But to somebody keeping a record of the family, because if when those people pass away, there's just nobody else to keep exactly. it going down down that's to the family. Right. So I think that is just just brilliant. Now, what did you learn about yourself and your family while you were researching and writing the book? that you didn't know before you started to write Line of Serenity? Well, basically, I, I really didn't learn anything about myself uh, because it's it, it was all captured in the book itself, what, what I had learned about myself. Um, I learned about, uh, you know, I'm, I already knew that I was a good sister, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Because I was the oldest, you know, so and that's the way that that our parents raised us. Um, there was there's a chapter in there called the calm. So that's all I remember about our house is that it was so calm. My mother and father, we didn't hear them arguing. Um, uh, they kept that from us, but we knew how to handle disagreements and so forth. You know, they taught us how to do that. And then um, the way that they raised us, like I was the oldest. Then when my brother was born, my mother told me that when she brought him home from the hospital, I unwrapped his blanket and took off his sweater. Now, I'm I'm only like two years older than he was. And so I unwrapped his, you know, I took him out of his blanket and, and uh, not took him out, but unwrapped it and uh, and took off his sweater. And so, and then my mother used to tell me that when we went outside to play, we went out holding hands. And so um, each one 
all of us would teach the new child. So I taught my brother. My brother and I taught my other brother that came along. That's Cordell, and my brother's name was George. Then Joyce, George, and Cordell, when Nita came along, they all trained Nita and how to live in our household. And then, you know, Nita, Joyce's brother, Cordell, and Nita uh, trained Kenny. Joyce's brother, Cordell, Nita, Kenny trained Reggie. Joyce's brother, Cordell, Nita, Kenny, Reggie trained Ava. See? So that's the way it went. Okay, okay. They trained, we were trained how to live with each other. And we didn't know that we were being trained. Yeah. It's just it, it's organically too. That and that's good good parenting. And just like any oh, yeah. any if you work for an organization, good leadership, you're being led, but you don't even you think you're making the decisions. That's yeah. what a good leader does. Now, mm-hmm. what do you mean by the best way to keep a man is to let him go? What do you mean by that, Joyce? That means do not put him out, quit him, or leave him. It means be secure enough within yourself that you don't worry about where he is when he's not with you. So now these young girls nowadays are texting the guys, they're calling the guys, they're, uh, what do they call stalking the guys. <laughs> I didn't okay. even know what the word was. I had to think about that. <laughs> the terminology nowadays. <laughs> okay, so, that so don't means just be secure enough in yourself that you don't have to worry about where he is when he's not with you. Ah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. So that my husband that means and I have. Go ahead. Isn't it? And I'm thinking for now. I agree with that completely. But isn't uh-huh. it a risk? I'm 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 asking questions as if the listeners are asking. Isn't it a risk to put a lot into a relationship and let a man go only to see him leave and all your work go down the drain? So you well, you shouldn't look at it as all your work going down the drain. You should look at it as a, a better future coming for you. Ah. Yeah. Okay. You can make a wrong choice, a wrong decision. Okay. That doesn't okay. mean it's the end of your life. Yes. So should, so my should husband, woman just oh, go ahead. My husband and I have been together since we were thirteen years old. He'll be seventy six next month. I'm seventy five. Um, we just it, it takes a lot of time. I just saw something on Facebook. Now I, I promote my books on social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and Pinterest, and so. Um, it takes a long time for uh, men to mature. They don't. We always knew that, and so these young girls nowadays don't seem to understand it. Men do not mature as quickly as women do, or males do not mature as quickly as females do. You have to give them time, you know. And and we're born. Females are born practically domesticated. We play house. We serve tea, imaginary stuff, you know. Nowadays they have tea parties where they have real food. We didn't have real food <laughs> or real tea. But um, 
I saw on Facebook, getting back to the point that I was going to make, uh, this one girl said something about she had read or heard or learned that men don't mature until they're past 40. And I responded, this was my uh, granddaughter's friend, and she's also my friend on Facebook. And I responded, very, very true, in all caps, double exclamation points. Wow. Yeah. And women, girls nowadays do not understand how (laughs) they're not going to get a full-grown man. (laughs) Ooh, that's a long time to wait. You know, I think think a lot of that comes from the way maybe men are raised. Oh, yes, they are. The way they're raised. I I got that in the book, too. And then uh, men socialize other men. And then the way people just keep saying boys will be boys. So it, girls' behavior is not excused if they do something wrong. That's boys right. My mother used to tell me, she told me and my two sisters, she said, a man can take off all his clothes and run around the block and come back to the place where he started running naked. And everybody will be saying, hey, how you doing? And all, you know, then no problem. Let a woman do it. That's what my mother yeah. told us when we were little. She said, a woman does the same thing. She will be treated like a, she's a, a dog. Yeah, I think you have, and so as a woman, you have to decide what what do you want. Uh, so two, two questions I definitely want to ask you, the things I see uh some women dealing with. So if a woman wants to keep a man, should she stay even if he cheats? Some women say, oh, you, I'll, all men are going to cheat, so I'll stay as long as he don't bring in a baby by another woman. <laughs> well, you see, this is the thing. Um, you have to make those decisions for yourself. One of the chapters in uh, The Best Way to Keep a Man is to Let Him Go, and there's a, another thing, uh, a Three more words to it, among other things. Let him go, among other things. Now, when I was about 15 years old, my late mother-in-law told me that. The best way to keep a man is to let him go. That's what she said. Uh, Now, my mother lived it for me because she didn't worry about where my daddy was when he wasn't at home. So she lived it. She modeled it for me. Uh, I learned that. but my mother-in-law told me those words at 15 years old. Now, I didn't write the book till I was in my 60s. So that's how long what she said had stayed with me. So that's another, that's organic as far as the title goes. She told me that at 15. I didn't write the book till I was in my 60s. Mm. Yeah, you have to decide for yourself. Uh, yeah, you do. You have to. You yeah, know, when we were coming up, Denise, I'm telling you right now, men cheated like it was going out of style. So, and the other, my husband, when we were 18 years old, he had several other girlfriends. So my whole thing was this. I knew that in my heart of hearts, I knew that I was going to get him. So he had other girlfriends. I didn't care about that. I'm the one that got him. Yeah, you have to. De- I, you have to decide what what is yes, what kind do. of lifestyle 
what kind of lifestyle do you want? Uh, and then uh, this is the next question I wanted to ask you because I see a lot of women are attracted to men who uh, either either cheat a lot or he's in, uh, doing a, crime, a life of crime, and they want to mm-hmm. change him and make him a good guy, make him different. Oh boy, Can't, that's a real mistake. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you because there there are still to this day many women and they'll tell you I I want to ter- take I'm attracted to bad guys and I want I'm gonna turn him good. Is can can a woman if she's patient enough and she keeps working at it, can she change a man? No. You can't. You can't change anybody. You can only change yourself. You cannot change another person. You have you can make them want to change for you. You can make them want to, but you can't make them do it. Mm. I hope somebody listening to this show really hears that today. I I, I see mothers weeping as they look at their daughters making relationship decisions, and the, the mother is crying like, "Don't do it." And you, the the woman thinks he's got good points. Everybody has good points, and I can change him. And it's I, I think that's a lesson many have to learn the hard way, which is unfortunate. But hopefully, somebody listening to this show will hear what you said, Joyce, and that will be mm-hmm. enough, and they it can have saved them years of heartache. Now, are there signs that a man truly loves a woman? Are there any signs for women out there? Well, let me me say a couple of things. Um, I heard the saying once where, I don't know how long ago it was, but it was a long time. The saying is, women wear makeup. Let me, I'm thinking. Okay, men, here it is. Okay, erase all of that. I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, now. Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to put put it back together now. Women wear okay. Men like what they see, and women like what they hear. Now you got to re- get ready for this. Men like what they see, and women like what they hear. That's why women wear makeup and men lie. Whoa! I know. Isn't that deep? Yeah, that is. I know. I've never heard that one before. I oh, have neither. Oh, yeah, that's something where, yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. That's why women wear makeup because men like what they see, and men lie because women like what they hear. Mm. Mm-hmm. One to think about, one to yes, think about. Yes, Yes. Now, you've been married for 51 years plus. It is 52 how, how, years. How do you keep... Uh, I know my my grandparents were sixty, and Mark before they both passed. But you, they were very conscientious about, and they went through a lot. What, how to keep it going and keep it yeah. good? Yeah, yeah, uh, we go through a lot keep, too. How do you keep the communication lines open, uh, uh, even if it's good? There's there's no abuse, no cheating, no nothing. But you with the same person for fifty plus years. How do you keep the communication lines open? Well, one or the other of you has to be an effective communicator. One or the other, and then you can help 
bring the other one along and 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 trying to get them to start listening to what you're saying as opposed to what they think you're saying. So you have to have at least one of the the people has to be. You know, it's almost like uh, my husband says it takes two hands to clap. Yeah, so somebody's got to lead the way. Somebody got to have that strength. And if you both don't, whoa, you might be in for some trouble. Yeah, you are in trouble. You are in trouble if neither one of you is an effective communicator. But one of you has to be an effective communicator. Because if if neither one of you is, then it's not going to work, period. Yeah, interesting. This was somebody who's walked walked it and knows what she's talking about. You can't change anybody. Uh, uh, men like what they see. That's why women wear makeup. Women like what they hear. That's why men lie. And then one of you has to be a good communicator, and you have to decide what it is you want in a relationship. And don't don't compromise it because at the end, if you do, you mm-hmm. probably won't be happy. Thank you for what so, you shared. Yes, yes, you you know, and and I, I love that when uh, men like what they see, women like what they hear. That's really food for thought. Yes, there. it is, uh, and it it, it uh, took uh, me aback, you know. So, but now within the book, uh, there is a chapter. Um, don't use sex as a weapon. That's what women do. They'll use it as a weapon. Uh, it, it it should never be used as a weapon, and also. Do not take man advice from a woman who has no man. That is about the dumbest thing females do. They will listen to a woman or a female who has no man. Or if she does have one, she's in a horrible relationship, and they'll listen to her. You better seek out somebody who has a good relationship, uh, and that book tells you a whole lot. It's only 64 pages. And it includes the same recipes that are in Line of Serenity, 22 recipes. So it's only 64 pages, including 22 pages of recipes. God bless me with the talent for being succinct. I can say a whole lot in few words. So it's 64 pages, 22 pages of recipes. So there's only 40-some pages of text. Mm-hmm. But good, 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 good advice from your you you're sharing mm-hmm. your your lessons learned with uh, uh you know book readers and future generations. Now mm-hmm. and 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 for our listeners, that is in the best way to keep a man is to let him go by Joyce Fields. Now we're going to talk about uh, um, another one of your books. Is Mother's Dozen? Is that a book for new parents? Yes, it is. Mother's Dozen, you, an easy recipe for raising great kids. Can you share some of key tips, not not giving everything away, but maybe two key tips that you do share in the book Mother's Dozen? Okay. Um, what I talk about, now the forward, when I finished the manuscript, I sent it off to um, big-time publishing houses, and I was rejected on every front because they were saying that they didn't take any kind of uh, child-raising advice or books from – they only took them from psychologists and social workers and ministers and and, stuff like that. That's what they mentioned to me. And so I did the next best thing. 
and my cousin at that time was attending um same church out here in Los Angeles and that was a, one of the big mega churches in in LA uh, uh first AME church and I sent the uh email I sent an email to the pastor asking him if he would be uh willing to read and write a foreword for the book so he wrote this forward, and if I hadn't been sitting down, I would have just about passed out. It, it is awesome. He says, Mother's Dozen is a handbook of excellence in raising children. It systematizes the rules passed from generation to generation regarding preparing children for the world to come. It involves tough love. It encompasses touchy-feely. It establishes fences that keep the wolf out and the sheep safe. It is common sense, the most uncommon thing in the world, particularly in this present age of negative imaging and self-raised, quote, rug rats, unquote. The quest is not for something, quote, new, unquote, but for something substantial. It is here. Every line brings an aha experience. The head nods, yes, the will prods action. Well done, well done. Reverend Cecil L. Chip Murray, First AME Church, Los Angeles, retired. So okay. he he wrote the the forward for this book, and this one is um forty eight pages. I told you that God blessed me with the talent for being succinct. And so what I do is I list the twelve ingredients that I call them. That's why it's called Mother's Dozen, an easy recipe for raising great kids. Start from infancy. That's number one. Number two is teach them manners. Number three is love for learning. Number three, I'm num- number four, responsibility. Number five, rules, order, and organization. Number six, independence. Number seven, spirituality or a higher power. Number eight, affection. Number nine, discipline slash self-control. Number 10, feed interest. Number 11, obedience. And number 12, patience. This book will lead you into, it makes an excellent gift as a um, bridal, a baby shower gift. But it, it, it tells you everything. You know, start from infancy. Babies are smart. See, these young girls nowadays want to act like they're like a little mannequin, just dress them cute, and they don't realize that's a human being. you got to talk. you got to train them. you got to teach them, you know, so they just want to dress them. And nowadays, they're even wearing 14-karat uh, gold bracelets. You've seen them on babies. Mm. It's just ridiculous. So you got to wow. teach them manners, and you you teach a child manners by being mannerable to the child. Mm-hmm. Love for learning. Oh my goodness! And it's an easy read, and uh, the, the tips that you share could help a child in future generations. Uh, and and just like with a, re, a marriage, raising kids, this is it takes consistency. Because I think yeah. sometimes Ooh, that's like, a magic a things, word. My husband we'll just do, said we'll that word it, yesterday. We'll do it well for a while, and then we, then we're like, oh, I'm tired. Because it is, it's, it, it, it takes energy. It takes energy. It most and focus, certainly does. Commitment. 
consistency. You have to be consistent to to raise a child and to raise a child with love and and and, and, mm-hmm. and patience. It mm-hmm. it does. It, it takes all of that and those tips that, that you they say. Well, this works. Uh, it, it, yes, it, 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 it does work. Yes, uh, my and dad my, child, my son is forty nine years old, and I admire him. I admire my own child because okay. he has shown that he was raised. Uh, what makes my son so great? That's in the, the last page of the book, the last page of text. He is always mannerable. He is very polite and respectful, especially with his elders. He loves to learn and experiments with new approaches in order to learn more. He is a responsible person and does not accept others or not expect others to pay for his mistakes or wrong choices. He suffers negative consequences with dignity. He consciously lives his life with rules, order, and organization, thereby minimizing tension, stress, anger, conflict, and confusion. He is independent and seldom borrows or asks for assistance. He is exceedingly spiritual with a powerful belief in God. He regularly focalizes his awareness of and thankfulness for his many blessings. He enjoys giving and receiving hugs and kisses. He usually takes care of must before shoulds, needs before wants, and business before pleasure. He demonstrates that he can effectively follow rules and instructions when appropriate. He is patient, seldom loses his temper, and uses time wisely. And the last point, he has a truckload of family members and friends who love, admire, and respect him and often seek his opinion or point of view. Okay. Those are the characteristics. Okay. That and result. I can tell you a proud. I can hear you. You 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 a proud mama, uh, uh, Joyce. As we come down to a little less than fifteen minutes in today's show, I wanted to ask you: In what ways is raising children today more challenging than raising children two or more generations ago? It's more challenging nowadays because of. Um, Technology, for one thing. We didn't have technology back then. Uh, these kids nowadays, you hardly ever see uh, lots of children playing. You know, you, you, they're on their phones and on their devices. And uh, so th- there's a real challenge, you know, but it's still, it's, my husband had a, a saying that uh, the picture is different, but the no, the picture is the same, but the frame is different. You see, that's the way it is nowadays. So the the picture hasn't changed. Human behavior has not changed, but the things around it has. You know, for instance, all the technology and uh, people are so into materialism nowadays that they've lost sight of uh, what is really valuable. Mm. Now, how does Mother's Dozen work with your book, The Vision? They both aim to prepare youth for, like, a rewarding adult lives. How do those two work together or complement each other? Uh, they complement each other because um, with The Vision, it, it, Mother's Dozen is a parenting tool. Uh, the Vision 
really seeks to get into the heads of children um, because now I wrote the vision it started out as a play and um, my cousin that who lives in LA he was into um, entertainment and but he was introducing me to a lot of other people who we thought that they could get it off the ground but then it didn't uh, work out. But So then I turned it into a book. I just put information in front of the play, and at the end of the play I put pages in there. Uh, and this one is about uh, two young slave children talking mm. about uh, learning their lessons. And it's written in uh, like slave vernacular, but it's it's not hard. Excuse me. It's not hard to follow at all. Uh, the little boy has just been beaten because he wanted to learn how to read. Mm. And so they're, they're, the two uh, children are in the barn talking. And she was just telling him how um, her sister has visions. You know, I don't know if, if you're familiar with this, but a long time ago people used to say that uh, a child was born with a veil over its eyes. Yes. You heard that before? Yes, I have. <laughs> oh, okay. So that means that the child uh, has they can they can see into the future. Uh, born with a veil over their eyes. So she was born with a veil over her eyes, and she could see way, way, way into the future. And she could see that in the future. Black kids especially were not minding their lessons, were not learning their lessons. And she was saying uh, about how, Lord have mercy, if they could know what we are going through, they don't know what we're going through. Because we want to learn how to read and write and and figure. And she didn't say all that math and stuff, so she talked in different terms. Um, But... She was. Uh, she saw into the future how the children were going to take over, pretty much like Parkland. Those that shooting that happened. The students were are taking over now, um, getting action on all of this stuff. So she could see into the future where the students were going to take over their own education, be involved in their own education, and um, in the in the book there is a contract. Uh, and this one is written for uh, children that are like 9 to 12 years. No, I'm 16 because the, the vision goes up to 16 because of uh, okay. uh, seniors in high school. They have an opportunity to turn it around. So there's two contracts in this book, uh, the vision, telling kids that they can make the world a better place. And they have to sign one is for school and one is for home. So then they have to check off what they're going to improve in. There's even a, a, a category for everything. They want to improve in everything. And um, so they they have to sign it, and they get their parents to sign it and fellow students to sign it, the one for school. And uh, so I'm trying to – okay, here's here it is right here, the contract. This is the personal home contract. Uh, I, 
and you put your name in the book, do promise that starting on whatever date you get, you pick the date, I will improve in the following areas. All chores, bath and shower, bed on time, up on time, ready on time, cooperation, other and everything. If I start to mess up, I give my parent or guardian and other kids in the house permission to remind me about this contract. I will not get angry. I will thank them for helping me. I know that a good home life is important, and with my help, my home can be better. Sign, witness, witness. Yes. And you know what? There are parents who who actually use that. Uh, I heard years ago that you made a contract, the parent and the child, that this is what we're going to agree to. Remember your agreement? Remember what you said? Mm-hmm. You were going to do the same. I guess we have our work contracts. These are the rules. You said yes. you were going to abide by them. So, uh, uh, of course, in work you can tell a person to leave, but in, in with a child you just keep working and working and working with your uh-huh. child. Speaking, speaking of children, uh, as we come down to the last few minutes in today's show, what's the inspiration? And this is a very on-time book right now because I was talking with somebody uh, a couple of years ago about this topic and they were like telling me Denise you don't get it it's it's very different now this it, it's it's 24/7 because of the internet and people mm-hmm. can post stuff on the internet and mm-hmm. and some kids lives are so horrific because of this it's not like you just go to school and somebody threatens you it's nonstop so what's the mm-hmm. inspiration behind the book from you behind the book Dear Bully Oh, dear bully. The inspiration for that one was uh, bullying has been around since before I was born. Um, Kids have always bullied, but it's worse now because children are committing suicide. They have even coined a word. It's called, I have never heard this. I think it's it's the ugliest word I've ever heard, bullicide. That is for children who commit suicide because of bullying. I think that is just horrible. But uh, I wrote the book. It's um, it's called Dear Bully, a collection of poems about bullying. And so um, the you know I, like I told you how God has just guided me. And uh, so in in this book I wrote there's 25 poems. I wrote 25 poems in six hours. It just absolutely blew my mind. Um, so because of the, the fact that the children are committing suicide, it's just so unnecessary. I mean, you can have, when we were coming up, we would, we would have fights and all of that stuff. But the next day we'd still be friends. Maybe in the next few hours we'd still be friends. Um, so I'm going to, I want to read you one of the poems in the book. And this is a, uh, all of the poems start out with the two words, dear bully. Now this one is dear bully, sending mean stuff on your computer or texting it on your phone is no way to deal with anyone. It's better to leave them alone. Cyberbullying is just as bad as doing it face to face. It's nothing to be proud of. It's really a total disgrace. Instead of sending mean stuff, start a cyber friendship chain. 
Include the kids you bullied, and then you all will gain a better way of living, more smiles in all your days, using your computers and your phones in smart and friendly way. Mm, I like that poem. I like that poem. And uh, 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 for somebody maybe just at the start of bullying, I could see where that could impact them for somebody who's bullying because there's some psychological things going on where they might mm-hmm. be projecting they might be projecting because of something going on at home and just finding a, a suitable target they, the, the, some of those kids may need professional help so they can start yes. to really identify why do you want to hurt anyone mm-hmm. and then that's a good question why do you want to hurt anyone now, what can each of us do to stop bullying? What can what can each of us do to to help turn this around? Well, you know what? I, it's funny you ask that. Um, in 2012, I created the Anti-Bullying Pledge. And I'm going over to the computer now. Um, it's free on my website. Uh hoping that the computer oh, is asleep, so I've got to wake it up. But um, let me see where it... Okay, here. So the anti-bullying pledge has one, two, three, four, five, six points on it. We can get these kids. You can go to goodshortbooks.com, the anti-bullying tab, and download it. It's free. To download the book itself is seven ninety nine. The dear bully is seven ninety nine. Um, but the pledge states, "I pledge to not be a bully. I pledge to stop being a bully. I pledge to be kind to all. I pledge friendship to the bullied. I pledge to choose good over evil. I pledge to start or join a cyber friendship chain." Now, a cyber friendship chain is nothing more than uh, the the phone, uh, like a phone club, where they call each other and they encourage each other instead of discouraging each other or telling each other they're fat, sloppy, or stupid or anything like that. So if, if people would download this pledge, we could make a difference in um, – starting with like five, six-year-olds. Read it to them if they can't read themselves yet and just, just instill it in them to yeah, stop and you, and bullying. You, and you you said it when you said start early because somebody listening to the players could say, oh, that wouldn't work with a 15 or 16-year-old. No, you start yeah. earlier. You start, yes, exactly. You start, you start at maybe even three, four years old and you just keep – taking them down that path and not having bullying in your own home. But also yeah, we didn't but have young, bullying. For a young kid, that's a good that's a good start. You don't that that uh, for a fifteen year old no, but for a yeah. three or five year old three, four yeah. or five year old that that's a that's a um a good beginning. Can you believe we are through with today's show? I had other questions I wanted to ask you but <laughs> as always I run out of time before I run out of questions, which is a good thing. But where yes, can where can off the shelf listeners get copies of your books, Joyce? Go to goodshortbooks.com. 
Okay. All it's of them. There book. are eleven books there. My sister wrote one, and I wrote ten. Oh, she got a sister's book. That see, that family looking out for sister as well. Mm-hmm. We want to. And and she and she ended up being uh, a stenographer just like I was. She and she retired as a an executive assistant. I retired as an executive assistant. So well, I guess wanna... that I role modeled for her. <laughs> Well, we want to thank you, Joyce, for being with us here on Off the Shelf. And Joyce Fields is the author. Some of her books, you guys, Line of Serenity, The Vision, A Breast Cancer Journey to Greater Joy. We didn't even get into that one. The Limitless <laughs> Golden Book, Jet, Jetta Black and his Her Seven Friends, My Simple Quotes to Live By, The Best Way to Keep a Man is to Let Him Go, etc. You can visit her online. I encourage you to do so at goodshortbooks.com. It's spelled exactly the way it sounds. GoodShortBooks.com. We want to thank Joyce Fields. Joyce Fields, remember her, GoodShortBooks.com. Please go out and support her, Joyce Fields and her books. We want to thank her for being here with us today and thank each of you our off-the-shelf listeners, especially I especially thank our loyal listeners who've been with us for 14 years. And if this is your first time tuning in Off the Shelf, please come back next Saturday. Remember, mark it on your calendars. Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time, you're going to catch Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio. And remember, you are awesome. You are amazing. You're incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday at 11 o'clock. Joyce, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Bye.